Good morning, Solano. My name is Paul, and I have the privilege of reading First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. I invite you to open up your Bibles and read along, or look up uh, on the screen and read along. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will all raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two would become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are brought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. I, I think that was uh, Paul's first time reading scripture, right, for us? Yeah. It, that was a doozy to be your first one. <laughs> oh, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer, and you're here with us this morning as we tackle uh, again uh, the topic of sexuality as we move through this incredible uh, uh, scripture that you've given us, and I just see more and more how, how good you are to give us your wisdom on this topic, and so help us to receive it, help us to absorb it, help us to understand it today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, sex is like dynamite, right? I mean, really, if you think about the, the force that it is in our world, it's kind of like dynamite. It's explosive. And the Apostle Paul is going to make the still very relevant point today that some of the ways we deploy our sexuality are unhelpful. So we'll get into the way he talks about it, but a contemporary version of this would be simply uh, how our overly saturated, sexualized culture makes it so that sometimes what would normally be a natural physical contact gets weird or strange, Right? Uh, when I was 20, I went over to Spain, and uh, I had one friend in Spain. He took me to his house, and we went inside, and his, I, was, I was 20. His 25-year-old sister was there. She was in the kitchen, and uh, I walked in, and uh, I didn't know the customs of Spain at the time, and uh, he introduced me to his sister, and she turned around. She started walking towards me, and I thought, okay, um, I guess we're going to hug or something, right? Uh, and then she's getting closer and closer, and, and I'm seeing the signs of not hug, and the alarm bells are going off on me because I'm a 20-year-old American boy, and I don't have a context for what is happening right now. And she comes in closer and closer, and then kisses me on one side, and then kisses me on the other side, right? And I was stunned. 
about what had just happened. I wish somebody had warned me that there are different customs around this, right? There's an element uh, of this in our culture where we, we, when we overly saturate it with, with sexuality, we can't even uh, do the normal things. I mean, in the Bible, it talks about how, you know, Paul commends them to greet each other with a holy kiss. And we, we like squirm with that, right? So, so uh, I have a friend who... Um, is unmarried, and he will often say to me uh, something like, you know, it's been three months since I've had physical contact with anybody. Like just a touch, right? Or a hug, you know? So it's unhelpful sometimes the way we deploy um, our sexuality. Uh, and and, and, and you, you think about that same uh, aspect. When we, when we look at people, sometimes it can be like, they're, they're not human beings because the messages of sexuality are so strong and, and so forefront in our minds. We don't look at people as human beings. We, we look at them as objects. Um, and, and so, again, it's unhelpful the way uh, that our culture, the way that our world uh, has become so saturated in unhealthy ways with sexuality. Paul will go on to say another thing. He'll say that sometimes the way that our sexuality gets deployed, enslaves us. Now, the, the word in the text that was read, uh, that, that Paul read, is dominates us. The, if you look at the translations, there's a bunch of different ways that they've translated this word. I think, you know, domination's a fine translation, but really underneath the application, what it's getting at is it has this power to sort of enslave us. And maybe you've experienced that in your life before. I know that I've experienced that in my life before. By the way, this is not like, this is like, this is not Andrew who's got it all figured out talking to you all about sexuality, right? This is, as I said last week, this is an us, us thing. We're all broken in this area and we all have, uh, we're on a journey of growing towards Christ's vision for us and our bodies, and some of the ways that we deploy sexuality can be enslaving. They can be incredibly unhelpful. And uh, so we think of, of things like just a, a general obsession with sex can be part of it. Um, pornography can be one of those things that enslaves us. Or uh, prostitution can be one of those things that enslaves us. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit in the, in the passage today. But it's, it's really speaking to more broadly, the, the addictions that, that plague us. Um, it can be an addiction to, to masturbation. Uh, there can be fetishes that come with our sexuality um, and the brokenness um, that are unhealthy. And, and nobody would say, in, you know, they would say in the moment, might, there might be kind of like an unhealthy enjoyment in, in the moment, but nobody would say ultimately, at least in my experience, that, I'm, I, that they're glad they're addicted to some sort of sexual compulsion. Like we don't, you know, we, 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 we feel the chains of it. And as a pastor, I have seen this up close on more occasions than, uh, you know, I would wish. Um, I've seen broken spirits. That's probably what I've seen the most of. People who are just so frustrated and just so tired of feeling like they're enslaved by their sexuality. And they just want freedom from it. I've seen broken marriages and I've seen kids, you know, deeply impacted from broken marriages. And um, I've even seen uh, broken bodies to the point of, of suicide. And I've done the funeral. So when Paul says, you know, um, what he says 
here about sex in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. He is speaking into a subject that has a tremendous weight and gravity in our lives. It's like dynamite, a dynamic force. And whatever, whatever we talk about today um, with respect to you know, things that we should or shouldn't do and how we should manage our bodies, please don't lose sight of the fact that all of this comes out of the overarching message of the gospel of grace. So matter, no matter where we are, no matter what has happened, no matter how we find ourselves, know this, that there is a grace in Jesus Christ that is deep enough and wide enough to meet you in all of your sin and your brokenness, okay? And to bring about healing. Ultimately, what, this is, ultimately what God wants for us is to be healed and to be thriving in the way that he designed us to be thriving. So, so the way the Apostle Paul says it here in the very beginning, and this has been sort of my introduction, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated or enslaved by anything. So we have those terms unhelpful and enslavement. Now in Paul's context in the first century, um, he was dealing with a situation where a, a man was sleeping with his, his mother-in-law. Uh, um, and so, uh, you know, there was just a brokenness in the church community there. Um, and then there's this list we carefully worked through in the passage last week. Um, and I just want to say, you know, it was a three-day weekend. Some of you weren't here. And maybe you heard like, oh, Pastor Andrew said this or something. Uh, I want to encourage you, if possible, to go and hear the whole thing if you didn't get a chance to do that. Just because we worked so hard, and I had so many people speaking into it to kind of, to kind of um, move uh, towards the difficult topics in last week's passage. So I just want to encourage you to, to, to look at that comprehensively if you haven't had a chance to do that. So that was last week. And then this week, uh, we're, we're into this topic again. And as I've said, Paul's... Uh, um, undoubtedly, you can tell from the opening verses, first of all, that the posture of the Corinthian church, so this quote, all things are lawful for me, you could tell that their posture was that, well, we can do anything we want because all because we have grace. So with respect, even to sexuality, we can do whatever we want because we have grace. And, and uh, I, I know, I'm sure Paul was excited that they had a deep sense of the grace of God. In fact, um, as, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you know, we should probably be in, in the church, we should be taken advantage of for talking about grace too much. That's probably a good sign that we're erring on the right side, okay? But um, he's gonna, he's going, he, you know, he's undoubtedly glad that they understand this, this depth of grace, but he sees they're missing God's larger story for them and their sexuality. And that's what he's going to talk to them about in this passage. Is it an understanding, a deeper understanding of, of the larger story for them and, and, and how that relates to their sex, sexuality. And, and as you look at this text, he's got six truths about sex and their bodies. They're going to help us as well. So that's my, that's my title for today. Six truths about sex and your body. I feel like one of those pastors I thought I would never be. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm following the text here, and, and we always have to submit ourselves to the Scripture, and, and I hope that's what we're doing well 
this morning. So we're going to dive in, you know, strap on your seatbelt here because these are going to come pretty quickly because there's six of them and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to camp for a long time on each one. So here we go. Number one, your body does not need sex like it needs food. Your body does not need sex like it needs food. 1 Corinthians 6.13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. And then uh, he goes on to explain the body is not meant for sexual, sexual immorality, but for the Lord, he explained what the body is meant for, which I'll get to in point two. But first of all, I want to uh, unpack this first part of this section where he's basically saying that don't think of your body like you do of your stomach and its appetite for food. As someone said to me once at a very opportune time in my life, Andrew, nobody ever died from lack of sex. And uh, that's the point that Paul's making here, that you can't just think of sex like an appetite. If you go without food for a particular period of time, then uh, you will die pretty quickly. But Paul's saying there's a difference between the way the stomach wants food and what's happening with your body and sex. And seeing sex as an appetite to be filled is the wrong framework. And it's, it's a very pervasive one. You can see it uh, in Corinth in the day. Uh, the way that they approach it, it, you know, we go back to ancient history. You can see uh, that sex was viewed as an appetite in some cultures. And then you fast forward today, and there would be a lot of people who would view sex as merely another kind of an appetite. And po what Paul is saying is that's the wrong framework within which to understand how you've been designed for sex. A lot of uh, harm has been done to people and to themselves by viewing sex in this way. The same time, pastorally, I want to grant that there is a very, very powerful desire uh, within us oftentimes. There can be a very, very powerful desire within us. And the absence of, of fulfilling that desire can be experienced as a kind of a real suffering, right? And so we've got to hold, hold those in, in tension a little bit. And, and so what do we do with that? And one of the things that upsets me uh, about our culture is that it doesn't allow us to, to leave our sexuality asleep. Um, and that's true for young children who have all these messages coming to them all the time. And so the sexuality gets awakened earlier than it, than it ever has in the history of the world. But it's a true for us adults as well when we're walking through the day you know, we might not need to think about sex as much as we do, but the messages are just bombarding us. And it just, it just awakens in us uh, something that doesn't need to be awakened. And I'm drawing this from Song of Solomon, where we read on three different occasions something like this. Song, uh, chapter 8, verse 4. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. One of the best ways to deal with sexual desire is simply by not stirring it up. And uh, it's, it's like, though, unfortunately, in our culture, we have these sexual alarm bells that are just popping off, going off all the time. And so we've got to absorb all of these messages. Um, and so staying asleep sexually can mean turning away from that cultural obsession. And you may need to make decisions about your life so that you're not having those messages coming at you with such force all the time. And this is, this is not merely for unmarrieds. This is for married people as well. Because it can be very damaging 
to be to have to, to have that sexuality awaken even within a marriage context, you know, when it gets uh, to a, a, in a, at a unhealthy place. And so, um, so that's the first thing I would say. The second thing about that is that, um, you know, we do have to acknowledge it really does fit uh, under the suffering category in a world. In the world, the Bible says you will have tribulation, you will have suffering, and sometimes the shape of our cross is lack of sex. Um, now remember, if it's not sex, then it's something else that we will suffer. Suffering is part of this world. You cannot escape it. And um, we also know the, that, that, that the suffering we experience of this life is not forever. Um, it does not last forever. Whatever desire that is seeking to be fulfilled uh, with sex will one day fully and completely be satisfied in Christ, in the new heaven and the new earth. And I think sometimes people who are not having sex or who have never had sex approach this life as if like, I better make sure and have sex before I die, right? Because then somehow I'll go into heaven lacking something that I can never make up in heaven, well, that's not a biblical way to look at it. Any desire, whether it be sexuality or anything, anything that we feel like we want to have fulfilled now in this world, understand will one day ultimately be fulfilled in perfection in heaven. You will not be lacking in anything, okay? Jesus was a perfectly whole human being and did not have sex, okay? So this is a pathway um, that we that we can do. All right, your body does not need sex like it needs food. Number two, your body is meant for the Lord. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And then this, this is remarkable, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. What we need to know about our bodies is that unlike our stomachs and their sort of temporal desires for food, our bodies don't actually belong to us. Hey, the urges of your stomach, that's you. You fulfill the urges of your stomach. Uh, Paul is saying that the body is in a different category and it's meant for the Lord, not ultimately meant for us. And ownership is a powerful motivator. So what Paul is doing, he's motivating us on some level. He's, 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 so whenever somebody of greater status gives you, entrusts you with something, right? You feel a, a sense of responsibility. And, and, you know, generally you will treat that thing that you've been entrusted with, with a high degree of, you'll treat it well, right? Um, I've been, one of my distractions these days is watching uh, Jay Leno's Garage, so some of you may not know this, but I am just so fascinated by cars. I've been reading Car and Driver forever. And um, I stumbled across Jay Leno's garage. You know, he's all retired and he has a garage full of, full of cars. And what he does is he'll invite people to come and they'll bring their supercar. And he'll put it in the middle of his garage and he'll walk around it and he'll talk all about it because he knows everything about the cars and, you know, it's, it's very zen sort of. You just sort of listen to the details of the car and they'll say, well, so how much is this, this car going for uh, these days? And, and the person will say, well, you know, it's about, probably these are selling for about three and a half million dollars. Um, and, and, and then he'll say, well, okay, well, let's take it for a drive. And the, and the owner will hand over the keys to Jay Leno and he'll get in the driver's seat and then they'll go driving through the streets of L.A. with a three and a half million dollar supercar. 
And Jay Leno is just tenderly, carefully driving, shifting, you know. Now, I know when you get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, oftentimes you don't feel like a three and a half million dollar supercar. But in God's eyes, you are. In God's eyes, your body is. In fact, worth way, way, way more than that. Worth the very body of Jesus Christ on which you cannot put any value. And so you're kind of like Jay Leno in the supercar. You've been given this this incredible responsibility to steward this thing. And it's a tremendous gift. But what the Apostle Paul wants you to understand is, is what's actually happening here. The magnitude and the wonder that we have been given bodies that are meant for the Lord. And I love, it's just so remarkable to me that it doesn't just, it's not like Jesus wants to make sure that you're pure so that you can fit with him. There's a relational dynamic here which is captured in that phrase, and the Lord for the body. Jesus gave his life. It's this reciprocal thing. It's like a marriage. You and me and Jesus Christ were like, this is just wedded together, and Jesus has made possible for us to be made whole and healed uh, through his death on the cross. There's something remarkable and beautiful where our bodies are owned by Christ. He's purchased them, and so we need to treat them. We need to make sure that we live with them in, a, in an awareness of what they're really worth. Your body is meant for the Lord. Number three, your body is connected to the Lord. So not only is your body meant for the Lord, it's also connected to the Lord. 15, uh, the first part. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And a member here refers to body parts, like limbs, right, organs. Christ is the head. We'll get into this in 1 Corinthians 12, which I I can't wait. It's going to be so awesome. This book, I love this book. I know I say this every time we're preaching through a book. But it's true. It's, we have so many good things still to get through in this book. I just love it. But Christ is the head and we are the body. Now, all of my body parts generally function in alignment with my head. And when they don't, there's a problem, right? That's usually when I trip. Because my head was saying, let's go over here. But my body, my leg, missed the cue and tri- I just dar- in the darkness this morning when I got up, I forgot I'd moved the rug to the side of the hallway. And I come rushing upstairs to get my glasses because I forgot them. And bang, right into the, into the rug, right? When the head and the, and the body parts aren't aligned, then problems come. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you're a member of the body of Christ. Christ is the head. So, so you need to function in alignment. It just doesn't make sense that you wouldn't function in alignment with what God is calling you to do. And that includes as it relates to our sexuality. The body being in alignment with the head who is Christ. So imagine how, you know, just to make it a really tangible thing, how if God wants to use me in a particular context or in a community situation, but I'm having inappropriate romantic or lustful thoughts towards others within that community, right? Now, and, and again, we all, this is, this is not like 
those of you who've ever had romantic or lustful thoughts, don't be thinking, oh no, I've had that, so I guess I'm out of it. No, this is all of us, humanity, right? We're all broken and in process. So, but what's happening there is that, is that the head is calling us to be present in the community and to, to be aligned with him so that he can use us for the blessing of others. But when we're, we're distracted and we're out of alignment with the head by having misplaced romantic or lustful thoughts, then it's almost, it's, it's like we trip. The body is tripping at that point. See, do you understand what I'm saying? The body is tripping. It's like there's a fog that's come between the, the nerves so the directions that come from Christ are being impacted by uh, us. And so we need to understand that our bodies are connected to Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. And let that motivate you to make use of the one body that you've been given in a way that's aligned with Christ, including as relates to your sexuality. Point number four. Your body's unions are sacred. Your body's unions are sacred. Do you not know, verse 15, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? And, and we could say this is true you know, in the case of prostitution. It's, it's in the case of the larger scope of sexual immorality, adultery, um, you know, that, that, you know, do you not know that he who has joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's what, that's what it says, right? Uh, back in Genesis, and then it's repeated in the New Testament. It's sort of a mysterious thing, but that's what happens when people have sex with one another. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so when we unite in sex, we become one flesh. It's a mystical kind of a thing. And yet Christ has made us one spirit with him. So there's this massive incongruity between uniting our bodies inappropriately with others while we're united to Christ. You see. That's what he's calling out. He's, he's like, why would you, if you really understood the magnitude and the wonder and the glory of the fact that you are united, you are one with Christ in spirit, then you would not, that would keep you from uniting your body in ways that are going to be inappropriate and harmful and out of, God's, out of line with God's design for you. And I think it's this, this is, is how, you know, sexuality uh, and sex um, can become a kind of a wedge that the enemy will use to separate us um, from Christ, to separate people from Christ. Um, I, you know, this, I've had a little bit of experience with this myself. So when I heard Tim Keller say that, you know, when a college student comes up to him and says, you know, after the service, I'm, I'm rethinking, you know, my faith. I'm just not sure if I believe in God anymore. You know, his after years and years of experience, his response would want to be, when did you start sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Because there's such a powerful link between those two that the pattern he would see over and over again. And, and, I, and I would say similar in my pastoral experience as well. 
um, that the two are, the link is very strong. And when we're, when we're not paying attention to the fact that we're one with Christ, right, and, 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 and we unite ourselves in inappropriate ways with others, the, impl- the impact is going to be uh, something on that relationship with Christ. Now, praise God that Jesus Christ is powerful enough to overcome that. And we, there's grace and there's healing, as we keep saying. Um, but we need to understand that that dynamic is at play. play. And I, I, let me push a little bit further into that um, and say something, a really important point, I think, for those of us who failed in this area, um, for those who have become one flesh in an inappropriate way, um, you know, assuming you truly uh, see your sin and the magnitude of it within the context that the Apostle Paul is giving here, uh, and in light of God's design for sex, and assuming that you genuinely and sincerely repent of that sin, uh, assuming you've come to Christ in faith, right? I have to, again, make abundantly clear, there is grace for you. There is grace for you. I think all of us, when we're talking about sexuality, we're, we're like on heightened alert for the purity piece, and that's good, but we need to make sure we match it with the grace piece. Um, and I want to say this because I think some of the teaching in the church on sexuality has failed to communicate the extent of redemption. Um, and some of us who failed sexually have been made to think that we're second-class Christians on some level. Like there's something that we've done that ultimately is not, you know, as forgivable as somebody who didn't fail in these ways. And I came across a statement in Evangelical, Evangelical Convictions, which is the book that uh, our denomination has written on our statement of faith. And I thought that this was a really powerful thing, getting at the extent to which God's grace and redemptive power is upon you, even those of you who have failed in the area of sexuality, those of us who have failed in the area of sexuality. Uh, and it's this. This masterpiece of the human person created to glorify God as his image, but defaced by the ravages of sin, can be restored to a glory even beyond its original condition. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. All right, number five. Violations of your body are deeply personal. 18, the second part. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. We talked about this last week. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And, you know, this is why we have things like, the, the whole world recognizes this. This is why we have, you know, thankfully, things like the Me Too movement, where there's been a sudden response against violations of the body that have gone unattended, unaddressed for too long. Right? Because we all know on some level that violations of the body, you know, the body is sacred. It's not like shoplifting. There's not a Me Too movement for shoplifting because it's different. There's something about the body that is precious, that cuts to the core. And there's, you, you, please see this, this conflict in our society today because. On the one hand, our culture, the society around us wants to minimize sexual immorality and the impact of, of, of sexual sin. They want to, we want to, the world wants to minimize it, but at the same time, it can't help but acknowledge how traumatic it is. So there's a tension that's not being addressed, not being resolved, but Paul acknowledges that tension 
right here. So just a couple of few of important things on, on this. Those who would engage in sexual immorality, whatever form it takes, we talked about this in great depth last week, defining sexual immorality. Those who would engage in sexual immorality need to understand the stakes, right? That, that lives are being uh, harmed and including our own lives. Uh, we as a community need to stand firmly against sexual abuse, and we have had conversations about that, um, and we will continue to do so and to work as a leadership of this church to figure out how to do that well. Those who have experienced abuse need to be shepherded through the process of healing. And if you weren't here on Thursday night, I want to encourage you to get the, um, to get the, the recording of that uh, on Thursday. Very, very powerful um, uh, Judy Richards was here with us, uh, counseling professor at Western, talking about healing from abuse. Those who have experienced abuse need to be freed from shame. I want to say this as a church, um, and hopefully reflecting uh, what God says. Uh, for those of you who have experienced sexual abuse and you're laboring under the shame of sexual abuse, we can't fix all that in a sermon, but we can at least set the proper vector. And let me just say this. Though you feel shame in God's eyes and in the eyes of this church, there is no reason for you to be ashamed if you are a victim of sexual abuse. And now what we need to do as a community is we need to seek and pray for your freedom from sexual shame. And that's a journey and a process, and it involves your home group and the people around you who love you. But that's the statement that starts it. The grace of God manifest in the community of God. Freeing us from the shame that plagues us. In fact, God, I just ask, Lord, right now, that those of us who are laboring under the shame uh, and the guilt of sexual uh, abuse that comes with it, that just doesn't make sense, but always seems to be lingering there like this heavy fog upon us. Well, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring freedom for, for those in this room who need freedom from that shame, that you would bring healing, you would bring insight, enlightenment, that most importantly, your good, gracious love would weigh heavily upon us like a blanket um, that just covers us and ends up removing this uh, awful shame um, that we sometimes carry with us over years and even over decades. So I just commit that to you, Lord, right now um, as we're thinking about this in Jesus' name. Amen. Number six, we're almost done. The potential of the body is great. This is, re this is reason number six. Or do you not know, verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is a mission outpost for the presence of God in the world. Your body is a mission outpost for the presence of God in the world. Remember, we've been talking about this a lot. Is it from Zechariah? You know, you go back to the Old Testament and God's presence in the world 
was in the tabernacle and then the, you know with David and Solomon that became a physical building a temple and then we come to the New Testament Jesus says I'm going to tear down this temple and raise it up in three days what are you talking about he's talking about his body because now the presence of God is in the person of Jesus Christ and he's he's with the people uh, but then he goes up into heaven and what what happens after Jesus goes into heaven he he, he pours out his spirit upon the people of God and, and from then on, what is the temple? The temple is the church. Individually, in fact, in this book, Paul will talk about the temple collectively, uh, us together, but he also here, it's individualistic term. You, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means your body is a mission outpost for the presence of God in the world. I mean, sex is good. It can be enjoyable. But man, there's nothing greater than the calling we've been given to be a mission outpost for the presence of God in the world. Enabling people to have their eternity transformed and helping them along the pathway towards God. And we don't want to sacrifice that role in any way. The potential of the body is great. All right, that's our six. I think we actually have a slide with all six of them. Um, your body does not need sex like it needs food. Your body is meant for the Lord. Your body is connected to the Lord. Your body's unions are sacred. Violations of your body are deeply personal. The potential of the body is great. If you're paying close attention, you got your finger on the text here you'll notice there's one phrase in this passage I've not read yet. This is my one application point that comes out of my six truths. There's one application that Paul gives us, and it's really easy to remember. It's right there in verse 18. Because of these six truths about sex and your body, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. I think about... As I was reading that, I thought about Joseph. Those of you who remember the Old Testament story of Joseph when uh, Pharaoh's wife sort of moves in on Joseph. And, you know, we know this happens with men and women. This is, you know, um, that, that, that and, and there's Joseph who's, wait, who's, who's trying to figure out what to do, right? And there's a couple of instances of this. The first one is this. Um, for the first time it has some, happens, Joseph says to her, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is in the book of Genesis. And you see in Joseph a fully formed conception of God's design for sexuality in his response to Pharaoh's wife as she tries to move. He gets it. And then the second time it happens, we read this. This is Genesis 39, 12. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. That's the picture I want to, that's the application point. It's very simple. To be like Joseph. However it comes upon you, however the temptation comes at you for sexual immorality, be like Joseph and flee. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us these truths, for teaching us your design, for teaching us how much you love us, for 
not only teaching us, but then going to the extent of giving your body for us. Oh, Lord, you love us with a perfect love, and you have a perfect design for us, and we have failed, and so we ask your forgiveness as relates to our sexuality. And we pray, Lord, that these words in this passage and the other ones around it would sink deeply into our hearts to let us to understand why this is so important and to motivate us to do the right thing more and more, to live into your design for us. Help us to flee sexual immorality and to inhabit our calling, which is to be a mission outpost for your presence in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.